Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a Driver Reach and Freight Waves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach, a modern recruiting and compliance software solution. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate all the positive feedback on the show. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road, whatever platform you use to listen. This week, I'm excited to be hosting once again a great friend and someone who's become my go-to person for all things safety and compliance, Brandon Wiseman, owner and president of Truck Safe Consulting. So glad to have you back on the show, Brandon. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me again. Well, I always enjoy chatting with you uh, because I get to geek out a little bit on compliance, and I don't get to do that you know, with just about anyone. But uh, I'm excited to, to catch up with you on some new developments with the Drug and Alcohol Clearinghouse. We can talk about the improvements uh, made there as well as discuss how the clearinghouse is doing the job it was intended to do. And then uh, perhaps we can also consider suggestions on how it could be even better. Uh, I'd also like to share with the audience uh, a first-of-its-kind event that you're putting on, an immersive two-day fleet compliance boot camp that's April 19th and 20th in Indianapolis. I'd like to uh, to hear more about that and what's on the agenda and so on. And then lastly, I'd like to make sure we get to one of our listeners' questions during our Deeper Dive segment. Does that work for Let's you? Let's do it. Sweet. All right. Well, to kick things off, I often ask my guests for a book recommendation, but I know you're a podcast guy. Now, I may have thrown you for loop. You may have been thinking I'm going to have to share some book thing. And if you do, that's okay. You can share that too. But I know you're a podcast guy and, and you have your own podcast called Truck Safe Live and you're no stranger to this show. So uh, can you share with the audience maybe your favorite podcast besides Truck Safe Live and, and taking the high road? Of course. <laughs> My favorite podcast is the Joe Rogan podcast, just because it, the, I know that's the easy out. But uh, there's those episodes, as most will know, are just so packed full of interesting and uh, and good discussion on a lot of very different topics. So that's my favorite podcast. More recently, I've been kind of sucked into whatever my wife's listening to, which is usually some kind of true crime podcast or uh, something like that. So that's what, what? I've got. What is it with wives and crime? I'm they're all plotting our demise, I think. I think that's yeah. What it is. Yeah, I always have to sleep with one eye open. So, <laughs> so uh well, you're an attorney. Uh you specialized in all things FMCSA, uh, is that right? Yeah, something like that. So, I think I still have a license. Yes. And uh and and you worked for many years for a well-known law firm that has a large trucking practice. What was it that led you to, you know, go out on your own and start Truck Safe Consulting? Aside, aside from the entrepreneurial itch, which I yeah. absolutely. Well, yeah. Yeah. That was, that was kind of the main driving force, but I wanted to do more content on DOT compliance issues. I had a background in production and marketing before I went to law school. Um, so kind of got uh, diverted from that path, uh, going to law school, which I got a lot of great experience working for the firm and met a lot of great folks in the industry uh, really got sucked into the industry there. Um, and then, but then at the, you know, 2021, early 2021 felt the need and, um, desire to create more content. I just didn't think there was that, that grade of content out there that is directed specifically, uh, uh, to safety managers, safety directors, small trucking companies about DOT compliance and what, and how to interpret these regulations, which can be complex in certain situations and how to apply them to, your fleet. I did that at, in my capacity as a, an attorney for many years, working with fleets of all types and sizes. I just felt like I was in a good position to be able to offer that. So that's what I did. And uh, I've been doing it for a couple of years now. It's been fun. Well, it's been a lot of fun. I love working with you. And for all those same reasons, I, and I agree with you. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. There is a, a dearth, is that a word? A dearth of content 
out there. I think I that's think. the word. And I think I said it in this in this actual context. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but that's the reality. And so uh, and, and there are so many people who I think are who are hungry for that information and want it, but might not go go through the extra effort to to get it. Yeah, I mean, the benefit I had was, you know, if I'm a fleet, if I'm a safety director for a fleet, I have usually specific issues that I deal with day in and day out. There may be other issues that I never have to deal with or, or just very rarely. But in my capacity, working with hundreds and thousands of fleets over the years, I, I got to see a, a, lot, a lot of different issues come up in different situations. So I got to experience how the regulations work and how they're interpreted in all of these different contexts. So that now when you're the fleet that's dealing with these specific narrow set of, of circumstances and all of a sudden you're you're forced to have to interpret a particular component of the regulations that you're not used to, I think that's something that we have to offer through TruckSafe is kind of our perspective on those types of issues. And you've seen so much of it. Now, um, I want to talk about the drug and alcohol clearinghouse. It's something, obviously, it's, it's now three years. We had its recent three-year anniversary right in January of this year. Uh, I've been a huge supporter of the concept of this clearinghouse ever since I, I first heard it, that it was even being considered uh, by the FMCSA. And I think that was like 18 plus years ago. At least that's when I first heard about it. And uh, and now that it's here and, it, and it's fully operational with three years of, of previous data, let's just talk about how it's going. You know, in, in your opinion, is the clearinghouse doing the job it was intended to do? It's definitely doing the job that it was intended. I mean, the whole purpose of the clearinghouse is to centralize the data that was kind of all over the place about the drug and alcohol testing history of CDL drivers. I mean, historically, what we had to do as regulated carriers was reach out to previous employers for the drivers, the CDL drivers that were onboarding and ask them questions about whether that particular driver had ever tested positive for drugs and alcohol. And we were reliant on the representations that we received from those previous employers. Sometimes we never received a response. So we were always kind of shooting in the dark. So the whole purpose of the clearinghouse is let's get that all in a central database so that it's out there and available for all to see. Um, and, and we can be confident in our vetting of CDL drivers as to whether they are prohibited from operating because of a drug and alcohol testing violation or not. So it is certainly um, uh, doing its job in that regard. Um, FMCSA publishes its numbers. Uh, it had been publishing them every month. They've got, they've fallen a little bit behind. So just looking at the numbers here um, of how many positive test results they've had. Uh, Dece December of 2022 was the last report that they have available on their website. It looks like 2022, there were a total of 68,639 drug and alcohol violations reported to the clearinghouse. Most of those were marijuana use but what's shocking to me, we've talked about these numbers, I know, on prior episodes, but uh, this is the latest data. As of December of 2022, there are currently 120,345 drivers, CDL drivers, in prohibited status, meaning they are prohibited from operating a commercial motor vehicle because they've had a drug or alcohol testing violation and they haven't completed that regulatory return to duty process to, to get things cleared up, so... That's significant. And and that number, by the way, I remember even before the clearinghouse was a thing, the ATA had published an $80,000 or 80,000 uh, driver shortage number. Yeah. And how, I mean, that's not including that then. The last time we talked, the number of prohibited drivers was right around that 80,000. Right. So we were, 
uh, saying at that time during that show, it kind of tracked the number of drivers that we are short. Now it's outpaced the numbers uh, that the ATA estimates that we're short. We're at 120 in excess of 120,000 drivers in prohibited status. So yeah. just crazy numbers. Well, and and how just from a clearinghouse standpoint, it's a part of everybody's process, or it, it's supposed to be. It has to be. I mean, if you got CDL drivers, it's supposed to be part of. Your process. Yeah, yeah. Now, so so has it hindered in any way? Do you think uh, the carriers? ability to hire drivers faster or more efficiently because it now it's an added step in part of the process and it's certainly not it's not efficient it's not horrible but it it could be better i, I would say it only hinders the carriers that were uh comfortable using prohibited drivers in the past <laughs> but for for carriers that are trying to do the right thing and follow the rules i think it makes their job a little bit easier because now we're not having to chase down this information from prior carriers that we probably may never even hear from. Um, and so now we can be a little more confident in our, uh, like I said, driver vetting, making sure that with the drivers we have are actually uh, able to legally operate. Well, and part of the, uh, maybe the efficiency part I'm referring to is not so much the step of, of pinging the, the clearinghouse, yeah. but it's, it's to, to do that, to run a pre-employment full query. I have to, I'm at the mercy of the driver, you know, True accessing it, hitting, you know, accept, you know, and, and so on and, and making sure that I can get access to that information. I think that's probably the biggest hang up that I hear from my clients is getting the drivers to do that step. But if they want a job, they got to do it. So you're yeah. not getting a job unless you do it. I mean, it's kind of similar to, you know, when we have a driver fill out an application in the old days and even still, you got to have them fill out certain, you get a they got to give consent to mm -hmm. run these background checks. And it's essentially what we're doing here. We just want to make sure that the driver is giving their consent for us to ping the clearinghouse. So it's just part of the process. But yeah, maybe that adds a little time and, and headache to the process. Yeah. And the only other thing I'd say it's, uh, you know, it is, it's pretty manual. You know, someone has to, you know, go internally or if it's, or they outsource it, you know, to another yeah. vendor. But um, there's not a direct API integration directly into the clearinghouse. So, I'd say that would probably what would certainly make it more you know faster and more efficient. I think so. I think if we could get an API where third parties like Driver Reach could just be able to, on behalf of their clients, uh, get that done more efficiently, I think that would even make the system even more useful. But we'll see. So early on, like right before January of 2020, when the when the clearinghouse was first getting rolled out, there were a number of shortcomings, uh, and I think there was a lot of feedback. But um, I re I, re I remember. Um, I can't remember why it wouldn't or couldn't operate more like today's driver monitoring where you could get notified if something changed. But I was encouraged to learn that they did make some recent adjustments along those lines. Can you explain, you know, what's changed recently to give better insight in a, yeah. a you know, drivers? Yeah, just within the last month or so, this has happened. Uh, so like you said, Clearinghouse has now been in effect for over three years. January 6th, uh, our favorite date was the was the anniversary of <laughs> the Clearinghouse, three years in. Um, and so one of the things that a lot of folks had pointed out that was missing with the system was its inability to um, – to update carriers on the status of a driver after they had run one of the required queries. So uh, folks who use the clearinghouse will know that there are two types of queries that, the, that you're required to run. When you're first onboarding a CDL driver, you have to run what's called a full query or a pre, some call it a pre-employment query. That is the type of query that you and I were just discussing where the driver has to give their specific consent by logging into their own clearinghouse account and saying, you can do this. Uh, and then you also have carriers also have um, 
after they hire the driver, they have an obligation to once every 12 months run what's called a limited query on all of their existing drivers to see if anything about that driver's status has changed uh, in the system. And what we had was a problem where the minute I run one of those limited queries, it's going to tell me whether that driver is good to go or not. But the minute after I run it, if anything about that driver's status changed, then I, would, I wouldn't know about it necessarily unless the driver told me about that. And we all know we can't always rely on the drivers to tell us when something bad has happened. Um, and we would, we would potentially be blind to it until the next year, 12 months later, when we ran the next limited query on that driver. So there was nothing in the system notifying us if anything about the driver's status changed. Well, FMCSA has heard those criticisms about the uh, about the system, and they have changed that within the last month. So now, um, effective a few weeks ago from when we're recording this uh, podcast, now the system will notify you anytime you run a query, whether it's a full query at the onboarding stage or a limited query. If anything about the driver's status changes within the 12 months after you run that query, you will get a notification through your clearinghouse account that, hey, there's new data in the system about the driver. We're not telling you what that new data is. Uh, that would be too easy, I think. So we make you go through one more step, which is to say that if you get one of those notifications that there's been a change in the driver's status, you then have to go run a new full query, meaning um, now you get that driver's consent again. And you have to see what has changed about that driver's status. Are they now in prohibited status, meaning you have to take remove them from safety-sensitive functions, or maybe something else has changed that doesn't necessarily disqualify them. Maybe they have completed a follow-up testing schedule for the return-to-duty process. Probably less common. But uh, the point is that if you get one of those notices um, that something has changed, you've got 24 hours now to run a full query on that driver and see what it is. Is the driver prohibited? So I might want to unpack that a little bit more. Uh, so first of all, it's encouraging that it, it it works for the pre-employment full query as well as periodic limited queries, because it, it, there was a change, I think, early on where they said for for full queries, for pre-employment full queries, we'll let you know. After, I, I don't know if it was like 60 days or 90 days or something. Maybe 30 was, days. Was it 30? Okay. Yeah. So, for, so I should have mentioned that. But yeah, with the full queries, there was a little bit of a tail to it even under the the old rules. So if you ran a full query within the first 30 days after you ran that full query, the system would notify you if anything changed. But that still left that gap of after 30 days, now we don't have to run a new query for another 12 months, um, 11 months and, and uh, however many days, uh, 15, no, forget it. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> Nobody told me there would be math. In uh, but anyway, you would still be left blind to um, their status changes, even after a full query, even though it was notifying you within those first 30 days. Well, and the issue I always had then is you only, I mean, you're going to perform a, a full query on every driver that you're trying to hire, but you don't hire every driver that you're trying yeah. to hire. And so what about all the, 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 the limited queries that you're running? These are your actual drivers. Yeah. Those are the ones that are way more important for me to get yeah. some sort of notification or, or both. It seems like both now, right? Now, on the other side of that, though, your existing drivers, you would think that it would be rare where their status would change. So with, when you're onboarding drivers, they may be working for another motor carrier. So there, there's a good chance that they could, something could change uh, within that first 30 days after you ran that query because maybe they test positive at the motor carrier that they're currently working for. Whereas your current drivers, the idea I think was we as the employing motor carrier should know if their status changes because we're going to hear about a positive test result. But it doesn't take into account situations where maybe they're working for another motor carrier 
that you don't even know about. Maybe they test positive over there. So there was certainly a gap, but I think the rationale was, hey, maybe we should have greater visibility because they are uh, employed by us and subject to our drug and alcohol testing program. Yeah, where it happens, uh, certainly if they fail a drug test for me, I'm going to know, right, if they're my employee. But but it's when they're testing for a pre-employment somewhere else, and that could be happening all the time, especially with turnover the way it is. So that that's the biggest reason why I think it's important. Um, so this is so there's this follow-on full query, and uh, th- and the fleet does not need to pay for that, right? That's that's free of charge in that scenario. Yeah. Uh- Merry Christmas from FMCSO. You don't get charged again for having to run that full query uh, as a follow-up query. But w- any other rules? Because I know you said within 24 hours, um, do I need to remove that driver from any sort of safety sensitive function immediately or? What rules don't require you to remove them immediately? I always think it's a good idea because you have no idea what's in that system. If, and it's probably, it's likely, I would say in most cases going to be that they are now in prohibited status. And so if I get that notification, even if the regulations don't tell me I have to, I'm taking that driver out of the seat immediately because there's a good chance that he's now prohibited. He's got a test, a drug and alcohol testing violation, and I now know about it. I'm on notice that there's a problem. So from a risk mitigation standpoint, Mm -hmm. I'm pulling them out immediately. Technically, the rules give you up to that 24 hours. They say that if you don't run that follow-on query within 24 hours at that point, then you have to remove them from safety-sensitive functions. But, and that's and they have to the uh, grant consent still. So that's a whole nother layer. They could, you know, refuse to do that. That would create a whole nother set of problems. But in all cases, you're still talking about removing from safety sensitive uh, functions. Yeah. yeah. And then if they don't give you their consent to run that full query, then they're going to be prohibited anyway. So it does them no benefit to withhold consent in that situation because either way, whether you find out they're in prohibited status or they refuse to give you consent, they can't drive after that. And I would imagine the chances of the reason being anything other than a positive, you know, some change in status is, is probably pretty low. Probably. I mean, uh, the, yeah, more often than not, it's going to be they're now in prohibited status, either because they tested positive or they refused to test. Those are the most common. But it could be other situations. I mentioned one where they finished up, maybe they were subject to a follow-up testing schedule. They're, they're in that return to duty process. So they're good to operate. Mm-hmm. But now the status has changed that they finished that follow-up testing procedure. So that's what the system is telling you is new in the system. So it very well could be a situation where you run the follow-up query and it just turns out. I mean, that would be best case scenario. Yeah, I was just going to say it. Probably best case. Yeah. But although in that situation, I don't know that I would want to just be finding out right then and there that they've been subject to a follow-up testing schedule. I would have, it would have been nice to have known that ahead of time, but Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I think this is a, it's a great help uh, in providing better visibility into the into the quality of drivers that you know we're hiring. Minimizing risk is uh, is all the rage these days, especially as the economy appears to be you know softening. Uh, a good friend, I think you know Max Farrell from WorkCount, he recently shared with me that uh, that he's noticing people no longer have the fear of missing out. Uh, now they more have the fear of messing up, and yeah. safety and compliance are really at the at the heart of that. Well, we all know the terrible things that can happen if you mess this stuff up. We've seen this in the million dollar and billion dollar cases um, that have been lodged against trucking companies primarily because they have screwed up something when it comes to compliance. So the stakes are, are pretty high here. Well, with the time that we have left, I think it's good to switch gears and, and talk about a, the special two-day event you've got coming up uh, this spring in Indianapolis. Uh, what is the Fleet Compliance Bootcamp? Yeah, our bootcamp. So this is one of the ways that we wanted to deliver content. So 
up to this point, we've all done this kind of virtually. So we do our, our monthly podcast. You mentioned Truck Safe Live. We have our Truck Safe Compliance Network, which is like a social network for uh, safety professionals to learn from one another. But we wanted to do something in person as well and spend more time really digging into the nitty gritty of DOT safety regulations. So the way that we're going to do that is through our truck, uh, truck safe fleet compliance boot camp, which we're going to try and put on a couple of times each year. Our first one is coming up, as you mentioned, in Indianapolis, uh, April 19th through 20th. It's a two day conference, um, where we're going to gather together with a small group of safety professionals. We still got some room available. If anybody's interested, trucksafebootcamp.com, sh- shameless plug. Um, but we're going to gather together and we're going to spend two days going through these types of topics that we're talking about. Drug and alcohol testing, driver qualification, hours of service, vehicle maintenance, all that fun stuff, CSA scores, and really hone in on what it takes to effectively manage a fleet compliance program and keep you out of the crosshairs, both uh, at the DOT, on the DOT side of things, and also highway accident litigation. So really looking forward to it. Should be a great event. Um, would love to have you there join, joining with us. So I know there's limited attendance, uh, and, and I know that you really want to focus on, you know, content quality. Uh, can you, what's the, uh, the, the site again, just for folks to be able to go and, and, and look at it yep. and register? Trucksafebootcamp.com. You'll find all the information, hotel information, registration information, a breakdown of what we're going to be talking about, that type of stuff. So check it out. So Indy's a fun place to be, by the way, in the spring, especially, uh, it's, uh, the thaw is, uh, it's not nearly as cold here as it is in other places. If you remember the Super Bowl we had here, I don't know, 2011 or so, 2012, I think it might've been, but, uh, it, it let everybody think that, wow, it was like 70 degrees. Yeah. That long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, man. Uh, yeah. False advertisement really. Uh, no, it should be great. I mean, indeed, I, you and I, Jeremy are both from, from the area, but, um, so we're a little biased, but it's a great city to just walk around. Yeah. The, the boot camp's going to be right downtown on the circle. So plenty to do downtown. So yeah. Um, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That'll be exciting. I look forward. I'll be there for sure. And I look forward to uh, seeing some of the other folks there as well. Great networking opportunity as well as, as educational opportunity. For sure. So let's, uh, let's get into the deeper dive question. This is something that since you're the safety and compliance expert here, I know um, I get a lot of next types. That's Jeremy's term. If the bar association is listening in, I did not call myself an expert. Jeremy. Fair, fair. Now I'm going to get sued. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the deeper dive question, uh, is a safety related question. And I don't get to use these, you know, questions when these come in from listeners, I don't get to use them on recruiting folks because they might not be as, as well versed. But in this case, the question is, what are the changes to CSA that I've heard are coming? Is that something to expand on? Sure. So the FMCSA, uh, so CSA, we know this system, it's been in place since 2010. Um, It's the essentially a scoring system, uh, or at least the safety measurement system, SMS, which is part of CSA. It's a system we all know as um, CSA scores or SMS scores, where the FMCSA is kind of measuring every regulated motor carrier's performance, safety-related performance across seven categories, which are known as the basics currently. Um, And they are giving you a percentile score in each of those seven basics that is essentially saying how you're performing relative to your peers, other motor carriers with similar number of inspections with violations in those categories. And then those scores are used by the FMCSA primarily to prioritize motor carriers for enforcement. So the carriers that are performing the worst, relatively speaking to their peers, are going to be higher on the FMCSA's list uh, for a potential audit or civil penalties or warning letters, that type of stuff. 
But it, it's also an important system because others are looking to the data and using that data against you. Namely, commercial auto liability insurance companies are using it to help set your, your premiums for your auto liability insurance. Uh, the plaintiff's bar is using it when they are figuring out if you're a good target for uh, litigation. Uh, and others are are using it as well. So it's important that you keep that those those metrics in, um, in check. And so we've had this system largely unchanged since 2010. FMCSA came out within the last few weeks here and has proposed pretty substantial revisions to the system and the way that motor carriers are scored. Why are they doing this? Because the U.S. Congress told them they have to do this. Um, there's been a lot of uh, criticism of the system over the years, folks not thinking that the data is all that useful in predicting crash risk. And so uh, Congress stepped in and told FMCSA they needed to commission a study of the of the system and its usefulness and then to implement any recommendations from that study. Study's done. Recommendations were made. FMCSA is now taking the next step of modifying the system, not necessarily in the way that we thought they were going to do, but that's really kind of uh, beyond the scope of this discussion. But they are making, proposing, I would say probably five to six pretty substantial changes. We've got a whole video on this if you're interested on, on TruckSafe website. But generally speaking, some of the big ones, uh, they're reorganizing those basics that I mentioned. Uh, number one, we're not going to call them basics. That stands for something. I always forget what it stands for. Now I don't have to remember it. Thank God. Um, we're going to call them safety categories, which is what they are. Uh, so we're going to have safe, safety categories. We're still going to have seven of them but we're going to reorganize them. So right now, for example, we've got a drug and alcohol basic that's going away and that's going to be incorporated into our existing unsafe driving basic. So that leaves six. Where's the seventh one? We're taking our existing vehicle maintenance category and we're splitting it out into two, a vehicle maintenance and a vehicle maintenance driver observed. So vehicle maintenance was a big category, a lot of violations going into it, uh, just hard to manage that m amount of data that's in the system. It's not all that useful in telling us what we need to know about the genesis of the violations. So by splitting it out into categories, the idea is that that the information that we're gleaning from the system should be more useful to us in, in determining the root cause. So that's a big one. Um, we're also talking about changing up the way we do severity weights there are like a thousand violations that filter into this system. These are all coming from roadside inspections. There's like a thousand potential ways your driver can be written up in a roadside inspection. We're still going to have a thousand ways that they could be written up, but we're going to group them into like kind violations to make it a little easier again to understand the root causes of these violations. If the driver has like six hours of service violations, now those are like an 11 hour, 14 hour, 70 hour violations. Under the current system, those would be written up as three separate violations. Under the proposed changes, we're going to categorize those all into one category, understanding that what we need to know as the carrier to get that under control is that the driver's having an hours of service problem. We don't, we don't care how many ways it's documented on the report. We care more about what's the underlying issue that's causing problems. So that's the other big change. There, like I said, there are a few more, but um, again, check out our video on the topic if you're interested in the details. Well, not only that, it sounds like this is good fodder for uh, for a good webinar coming up. You know, it's a, a lot of good information. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon. As always, I enjoy our conversations. Really appreciate your friendship, your guidance, and your passion for making this a better and safer industry. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the High Road and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the High Road 
whatever platform you use to listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the high road. Thank you.